Good evening, Hampton Roads. Good evening, Northeastern North Carolina and internet listeners everywhere. Welcome to this week's episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. It is always our mission to discuss and break down the dynamics of marriage and family relationships with the purpose of restoring, rebuilding, and perfecting those relationships. I want to begin this week by thanking God so very, very much. I want to thank the Lord for allowing my wife and I to purchase a new home. We moved in last week and we're still unpacking boxes. They're everywhere, but we're well on our way. God kept this house available for us for over two months while we looked elsewhere trying to find the perfect house or trying to find what we thought was the one for us. God kept this house on the market and we believed that it was just for us. And lo and behold, when it was all over, when it was all said and done, we came right back here to this one and it was waiting for us. So my wife and I are so tremendously, very eternally glad and grateful to God to be first time homeowners. And uh, anytime the saints are in the area, we'll invite you to stop by and fellowship with us. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I started a series on abusive relationships. I attempted to explore the process by which a person becomes an abuser in the relationship, as well as how a person becomes the victim of abuse in a relationship. And I'm doing this because this issue is critical. It's critical because so many people are suffering behind the scenes, believing they have no one to turn to for help, believing they have nowhere to go because they're in this abusive relationship. And between being in ministry for 35 years now and working in and around the United States military for over 38 years, believe me, I've seen a lot of abusive relationships relationships. And I want to begin tonight by giving you a warning regarding the nature of abusive relationships. And that is you have to be careful and don't oversimplify or underestimate how emotionally, how deeply emotionally impacting and how deeply life impacting it is to be a party in an abusive relationship. Whether you're abuser or abusee, I'm going to use those two terms. It is is deeply impacting to be in either one of those roles. So whether a person is the abuser or the abusee, it just takes a heavy toll on the person mentally, physically, emotionally. It drains the life. It destroys the life. It definitely kills, steals, and destroys the life. So it, here's the warning here. If you ever have the occasion to minister to, to counsel, or to just be an, a friend to an abuser, or to especially the victim of an abusive relationship, if you have that occasion, and if you are going to go into that situation saying something like, why don't you just do this, or why don't you just do that, or why don't you just do the other, if that's your mentality, then you are the wrong person to talk to. You are the wrong person to deal with that person. And again, especially if you're going to deal with a victim. If you're going into a situation where there is abuse and you believe your simple answer is going to fix them, then you are the wrong person to be dealing with that abuser or that abusee. Please believe me when I tell you that.
And what I'm trying to tell you is that we have a way of conceptualizing abusive relationships based on what we see on the outside. We have a way of putting together our concept and our thought of an abusive relationship based on what we view externally. We haven't walked in that person's shoes. We don't know what all they went through. We don't know what all went into making them who they are. Consequently, we have not been either, excuse me, we have not been in an abusive relationship ourselves. And since we have not been in an abusive relationship, we consequently have the luxury of sitting back and declaring what should be and the way that things should be. The result is we have learned some myths about abusive relationships that do not serve people well. Our myths and the way we feel about relationships, the way we conceptualize and and the perspectives that we have on abuse and being a victim of abuse and abusive relationships, our concepts do not serve either the abuser or the abusee well. Our conceptions are, are not based in truth or reality, and thus our concepts become misconceptions. And so, first of all, I want to set the record straight on a couple of misconceptions that are typical when dealing with abusive relationships. Uh, I I want to, first of all, say, number one, uh, uh, that no one is immune to abuse. No one is immune to abuse. And contrary to popular belief, women can be abusers as well as men can. And sometimes they make even better abusers. I know it seems counterintuitive that a woman would be an abuser in a, in a relationship, but it is true nonetheless. There are some extremely aggressive women out there. There are some extremely abusive women out there who inflict as much pain and damage emotionally and physically on men as men do on women. And if you were to somehow personify abuse, that means if you were to humanize abuse, if you could make abuse a human, if you could give abuse a personality, if you personify abuse, then you would say abuse does not care who it victimizes, who it hurts or who it abuses. It just wants to hurt, abuse, and and victimize somebody. If abuse were a person, it would seek to bring anybody under its power that it could. If abuse were a person, abuse would take anybody available and turn them into either an abuser or a victim of abuse. Abuse would not care. And, you know, we can actually personify abuse. That's not a far reach. That's not reaching too far. Abuse does not care whom it hurts. And that's why I've learned something here. And here's what I've learned. The person you may think is least likely to be an abuser or a victim just may be the one. A person you think may be least likely to be an abuser or a victim of abuse just may be the one. There is no profile of an abuser. 
Just a couple of weeks ago, the acting secretary of defense pulled his name from the nominations to be the actual secretary of defense because there was abuse in his immediate family. And the record is unclear as to exactly who was the abuser and who was the victim. But here is a man who is very accomplished in his professional life. He was a vice president at Boeing Air Company. Boeing is the largest maker of airplanes in the world and one of the largest companies in the United States of America. And you don't rise to the level of being a Boeing executive easily or by happenstance or circumstance. You didn't accidentally get there. That requires work. It requires accomplishment. It requires significant business acumen and other variables. And as the acting secretary of defense, this gentleman worked in the highest levels of government. He directed the entire military of the United States of America. He even had personal meetings with the president of the United States. He has more money than he'll ever need. And no doubt he lives in the plushest, most upscale community that's available to him. Yet there was some serious abuse going on in his family. How serious was the abuse? Well, the abuse was so serious that according to the record, his son beat his mother. Here's a son who beat his mother with a baseball bat. What kind of emotional and or physical abuse is going on in that home where a son decides that he needs to beat his mother with a baseball bat? Only the closest to him, only those who are closest to him and had access to him were aware of all this. But to watch this gentleman on TV, to listen to him talk, to to meet him in person, to talk to him in person, you never would imagine that something this serious was going on at home, especially when he was so polished in public, could make a speech and talk and speak on the fly. The bottom line is I'm trying to let you know that there is no way to look at a person on the outside and rule them out as an abuser. There is no profile. You cannot say the poor are more prone to abuse than the rich. You can't even say the rich are more prone to abuse than the poor. Abuse is not about rich or poor. Abuse is about emotional makeup. Now, you may see the physical marks, you may see the physical scars, you may see the physical toll on a victim of abuse, and that clues you in that that person very well may be a victim of abuse, but you may never know who the abuser is. You may be, be sitting beside the abuser in church. You may work in the cubicle next to the abuser on your job. You may be on a ball team with an abuser. And you see professional athletes on a daily basis being uh, 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 divulged as domestic abusers. It's not about money. It's not about the lack of money. It's about something going on in the heart. And believe me when I tell you, there's just no physical profiling. There's no profile for an abuser. It may be anybody. The second thing I've come to realize about our misconceptions in abusive relationships is that getting out of an abusive relationship 
is not as easy as just getting up and leaving. Getting out of an abusive relationship can be the strongest, most difficult move a person ever makes in their life. So again, if you think you can just walk into an abuser's life and say, why don't you just stop it? You got another thing coming. And if you think you can just walk into the life of an abuse victim and say something like, why don't you just leave? Then you show enough have another thing. It just ain't that easy. Excuse my English, but it just ain't that easy. It's not easy freeing yourself from an abusive situation. Listen, you're listening to us tonight on 1350 AM WGPL here in Hampton Roads. You can also listen to us at www.christianbroadcasting.com or christianbroadcastingcompany.com. Excuse me, www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. Dot com on the internet. Listen, I need you to let me know that you're hearing us out there. Uh, my email is cdhodges at hotmail. Find me on Facebook, Bishop Carl Hodges. You can listen or rehear these broadcasts on iTunes. Also, look up Bishop Carl Hodges or look up Bishop Hodges or look up Marriage and Family Clinic, either one of those tags, and you should be able to find us iTunes. If you want to hear it again, look on there. But whatever you do, send me a line, send me an email, send me a text, inbox me. Let me know that you're listening to us. Let me know that you're hearing us. Let me know that we're doing some good out there. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. And, and I'm going to go where the need seems to be. So if I'm not hearing from anyone out there, if I cannot detect that I'm fulfilling a need, then we're going to have to think about this medium that we're using. I know this subject matter is very necessary. I know it's necessary that we have a forum that speaks to our marriage and family relationships. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I believe that God has truly blessed me with a word to deal with this issue. But if this is not the right forum for it, then we'll have to rethink what it is we're doing. So again, my email is cdhodges at hotmail.com or you can inbox me on Facebook, Bishop Carl Hodges. Just let me know that you're listening to us. Again, this is Marriage and Family Clinic. As I was saying, another misconception we have about abuse is that sometimes we think it's just easy to get out of an abusive situation. And you cannot just walk into an abuser's life. You cannot just walk into an abusee's life. You certainly cannot walk into a victim of abuse, their life, and say something like, why don't you just leave? There are some emotional bondage going on that keeps a victim captive in an abusive relationship. And I have to tell you this because I believe it in my heart. It may send some people off. It may drive some people away. It may repel some folks. But I believe this with all of my heart. This emotional bondage that takes place or this emotional bondage that is present in abusive relationships, it is spiritual in nature. 
I said the bondage that keeps a person bound in an abusive relationship, the strength of that thing is spiritual in nature. Something has taken over an abuse victim's mind and convinced them that they have to stay there. They have nowhere to go. There is no one and nothing, no system, no person, no agency that can help them. And to become that convinced about something that is so absolute Absolutely not true is to be taken over by some spiritual force. So please don't think that it's just that easy to walk up into an abuse, abuser or an abusee's life and tell them just stop it or just leave. It's not that easy. There are economic concerns that keep victims captivated in abusive relationships also. For example, a woman may not have much education, may not be accomplished professionally. She didn't finish school, high school, no college, no, no work experience or very little work experience or the work experience that she has will not get her a job where she's able to support herself. And, and Lord help her if she has children uh, and she has no other source of income than the money that the abuse abuser brings home. And, and again, she may have children. So if you just tell her to leave, you, you, you're not going to accomplish anything. You're going to exacerbate the situation. You're going to make the situation worse by overly simplifying the situation. You're going to dash any hopes that she has. You're going to cause her to sink deeper into depression by telling her something so overly simplified and so inaccurate as just leave. And even if she does leave because of her economic situation, it may drive her right back to the abuser. Somehow or another, she figures it's better to be beat and eat rather than out of the situation and starving. And again, this is especially true if there are children involved. Again, you may say, no, 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 it's simple to me. Well, it's simple to you. Because again, you haven't been in their shoes. You haven't been through what they've been through. You're not made out of what they are made out of. And then another thing that makes it difficult is that oftentimes law enforcement is not as responsive and law enforcement is not as much help as we may think they are. The victim has to file a report. A report. The victim has to file charges. The victim has to agree to testify in court. The victim has to nearly beg for a judge to sign a protective order. A judge may be reluctant to issue a protective order. And while the victim is waiting on the law to run its course, while the victim is waiting on a court date or something else going on in the law, the abuser is running around free and is all agitated because the victim is taking these actions, which means the abuser may very well violate the protective order if there is in fact a protective order. And the, the abuser is already physically and mentally abusive. It'll be much worse if the law somehow fails to respond in a way that terminates the abuse. A word to the wise, if you ever have the occasion to help or to advocate for a victim of abuse, make sure you locate services, 
services such as a shelter or food or clothing, counseling. Make sure you locate those services for them. Make sure you do more than just run up in their lives and tell them, why don't you just leave? That's not the nature of an abusive relationship. They're going to have to ultimately leave if they want to be healthy, sometimes if they want to stay alive. But for you to just walk up in their lives and say, hey, why don't you just leave? You're missing the boat. You're missing the point. You don't have a clue how the nature of abusive relationships work. Listen, here's what we found now. Anyone who has ever escaped an abusive situation, they did so only after taking some extremely drastic action. And I guarantee you it was not easy. They had to muster up a level of courage that they didn't even know they had. They had to muster up a degree of courage that they never knew existed in them. They had to talk bluntly to themselves. They had to give themselves some strong talk. They had to strong. They had to talk to themselves with some strong medicine, some strong self-talk. They had to look in the mirror and point the finger at themselves and say something like, why sit here and die? They knew it was all on the line. They had to imagine what the next worst thing would be. And then they had to decide they were no longer willing to accept the abuse that has existed in the past up to that point. And they are definitely not willing to accept the next worst thing. They had to get to that make it or break it point where they could they had to decide. I just can't take it anymore. And for some, death may have been on the line. And then maybe, just maybe, it was a woman who, who made up her mind, I have to go. And she had to grab her children, grab just a few things and hit the road running. Or maybe even it was even a man who had to do something similar, had to grab a few things and leave the house, had to hit the road running. Because remember, we have a lot of women out there who are abusers also and who can inflict as much damage and as much pain emotionally and physically as men do. Getting free from an abusive relationship calls for drastic action. That's just the bottom line. It calls for drastic action. If you're going to get out of there, it's going to take some drastic action. Unfortunately, sometimes this drastic action has included causing serious harm to an abuser or even killing an abuser. God forbid. We don't want that to happen. Nobody wants that to happen. And that's why if you have the occasion to work with a victim of abuse, make sure you locate services and help them locate those services. Help them get to those services so that they can get out of that abusive situation. How in the world can a person be so accomplished professionally and so inept emotionally? How can a person be such a talented and skillful professional? Remember the acting secretary of defense and executive at Boeing Air. How can a person be such a talented and skillful professional while being so emotionally incompetent? 
Let's set the record straight here. A person who is in the habit of emotionally and or physically abusing another person is at the very least emotionally inept and emotionally incompetent. But how does it happen? It just doesn't happen. And it just doesn't make sense. Here's something for you to chew on, though. We do not mature emotionally at the same rate as we mature intellectually. The emotional and the intellectual are two totally different worlds. And that's why some parents make the mistake of thinking that because their child is intellectually ahead of the game, then their child can handle situations that require a different level than a certain level of emotional maturity. There may be intellectual geniuses. They may be able to go to college as, as a preteen. But they may not have, they probably, well, not even probably, they do not have the emotional maturity required to be successful in some relationships. A child may be a 12-year-old intellectual genius in the child, in the classroom, excuse me. A child may be a 12-year-old intellectual genius in the classroom. But he in no way has the emotional maturity to engage in relationships with his peers who are of traditional college age. The emotional and intellectual are two different worlds. Our emotional maturity requires that we learn to master feelings of the heart. While intellect requires that we only learn to handle data. Disseminate, evaluate data. And those are two different universes apart. Those are universes apart, eternities apart, the intellectual and the emotional. I remember watching uh, uh, Doogie Howser a long time ago. And Doogie, was, he was a master. He was a teenage doctor. But he would get into relationships with adults. He just wasn't emotionally capable of handling. He couldn't enjoy or, or comprehend the same level of talk that they had when it was outside of medicine. But he was a genius in the operating room. The emotional and the intellectual are two totally different worlds. Our emotional maturity requires that we learn to master feelings of the heart, while intellect requires that we learn to handle data, evaluate data, employ data. And listen, anytime you include the human heart in the equation, whatever is going on, whatever is going on, if you include the human heart in the equation, you increase the level of difficulty by a factor of one million, by a factor of a billion. You make it unimaginably difficult to deal with and to master when you include the human heart in the equation. We enter the classroom of emotional mastery at birth. And honestly, we never graduate. I know old people, senior citizens who are still emotionally immature. Our emotional makeup and patterns are a deep-seated part of our psyche. They're a deep-seated part of our souls. That's what the psyche is, our souls. Genesis 1 says, God breathed into man's nostrils and he became a living soul. And that deep-seated part of us comes from God himself and our responses and interpretations of life experiences causes us to form emotional constructs. 
And these emotional constructs are what helps us to, to convince us. These emotional constructs help to convince us about what we will and what we will not tolerate. What we need and what we do not need. It's these emotional constructs that teach us how to interpret what love is. It's these emotional constructs that convince us that we are missing some relationship. We're missing some sort of loving bond that will make us complete. These emotional constructs form instincts by which we interpret our needs. And when those needs are not met, we expend any necessary energy and effort to get those needs met. We're driven to meet those needs and the mandate to meet those needs for love, acceptance, validation, other emotional needs. They turn into our life's mission. And unfortunately for some people, those drives mean they will become an abuser or a victim of abuse. We have these emotional needs. They include love, acceptance, validation, affection, recognition. We have an instinctive need to bond with others. And this makes us predisposed to accept some things that may not be fortunate for us or may not be good for us. And this leads a person, depending on their emotional construct, it very well may lead a person to become an abuser, or to become a victim of abuse. This is what I tried to tell you a couple of weeks ago when we talk about learning to respond and being and, and being rescued out of distressing situations beginning at birth. It helps us to form our emotional constructs and our sense of security in the world, our sense of our place in the world. We need to learn to master our emotions. Getting out of abusive situations is not as simple as it sounds. Telling an abuser to just quit it, it just doesn't work. Telling a victim of abuse to just leave, it just doesn't work. There's more going on. And if you are in an abusive situation, I know it's difficult for you. I know you may not be able to imagine getting out of it, but I want to tell you, I want to give you a guarantee. I want to tell you a concrete truth. You can get out. Maybe the most difficult thing you've ever done, but you can get out. Listen, I want to tell you tonight that this is a most serious subject. We're going to be back on it next week. I want to devote some time next week to the signs of an abusive relationship. Hey, my time is up tonight. You've been listening to us on marriage Family Clinic. You're listening to us on WGPL 1350 on your AM dial in Hampton Roads, Virginia. You can find us also on www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com on the internet. You can find me and text me at Bishop Carl Hodges. Uh, email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. Let me know you're hearing from us. And until next week, God bless you. And remember, you cannot have peace without surrendering your life to the Prince of Peace. We're out.